Well, good morning. It's a, it's a joy to be here. Uh, I, I feel an affinity uh, with the church, even though I've only been here one time, because uh, uh, so many of you, I don't know, maybe uh, almost 20, I think, uh, have attended the biblical counseling training uh, that my wife and I uh, teach at Cornerstone in, in Mayfield. So it's a, it's a blessing to see, here, see you here. I see Mark here, and... Uh, who took the class and actually went all the way through certification. <clears throat> well, as Joe mentioned, uh, the elders of the church, they uh, as, uh, had Joe contact me to speak on this particular verse, and I guess he tried to time the series that he's going through in, in 1 Peter. Um, that's verse 7 would be here on Mother's Day, and it is a, as uh, I was putting together this, this sermon, uh, I realized uh, it is a, it will be a blessing to mothers. It will be a, it'll be a challenge to husbands, <laughs> but it'll be a blessing uh, to mothers. <clears throat> and if you're not there, would you please join me there? First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. I know last week <clears throat> Pastor uh, Joe dealt with the first six verses masterfully so as well. I, I actually listened to it yesterday. Uh, great uh, ex uh, expounding on that passage last week. But I want to read the first, uh, uh, beginning in verse 1, let's rehash those first six verses <clears throat> before we tackle verse 7, if you'd follow along with me. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter spends the first six verses, and he instructs wives uh, on how they can glorify God in their marriage relationship. And he spends most of his time, uh, a lot of times women ask, how come there's six verses for women and only one for men? And men kind of like that. But I think it's probably because the most natural thing would be as many of them came to faith in Christ as they were married, and their husbands didn't come to faith, and it put them in kind of a difficult situation, especially in that particular culture, because generally a wife is to follow the husband's belief, and it was a pagan belief. Verse 1, here you'll see that he encourages them to be submissive to their husband's leadership. In verse 2, <clears throat> they're to live the truth, not merely talk the truth. In verses 3 and 4, they're to focus more on the internal character and not merely external appearance. 
And then verses 5 through 6, they're to model behavior after godly biblical examples. And they pick Sarah as, as an example of one. And doing so, he says, they may win their unbelieving husband. Then Peter speaks to husbands in verse 7. This is how he wants husbands to relate to their wives, which is our focus for this particular sermon here. He's actually speaking to men, husbands in particular, who have been influenced by their culture. Women were considered to be inferior. And uh, they were treated that way as well. So Peter was exhorting these husbands. He wanted them to think differently, to treat their wives differently than the culture around them. And this particular uh, one verse here, even though it's just one verse for for husbands, it's a massive verse. It's a very practical verse. It's a very insightful summary. And it's a very challenging verse as well for the husband's role in the marriage relationship. Let's, let's look at it once again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wouldn't be a bad verse for husbands to memorize, actually. Even some phrases out of it to continue to counsel yourself at times. This verse tells us two things. We want husbands, uh, uh, two things uh, for Christian husbands. How they're to live with their wives and what's the motivation for doing so. How to live with their wives and what's the most motivation for doing so. As, 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 I, as I mentioned, Peter, in Peter's day, women were treated as being very inferior, a little bit above slaves, I guess you can say, And he was trying to abolish that particular viewpoint. That's one of the main thrusts, I think, in this passage here. He wants to abolish any ill treatment toward women. And in verse 7, I think, is kind of like the the husband's counterpart to to the wife's submissive spirit, respectful and submissive spirit that he speaks of in the first six verses. It kind of tempers any potential abuses. That's what he's doing here. He's tempering any potential abuses of a husband's leadership in the marriage. In other words, that same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that told wives to be respectful and submissive to their husbands is the same spirit that tells a husband to be thoughtful and sensitive on how he lives with his wife. And that's mainly the main thrust here, to be thoughtful and to be sensitive. So the question is, how is a husband to live with his wife? What do we learn here? When um, Kathy and I were engaged to be married over 40 years ago now, and uh, I'm old, I just, I just look good. But uh, <laughs> she told me to say that. When we got married, uh, we're getting married, there was an elderly gentleman within the church, and um, he said to me, Armin, if you want your wife to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. And I think to a degree, that kind of sums up what Peter is saying here. I think that, jo- that uh, elderly gentleman, he understood something. Peter, uh, people generally live up or down to how you treat them. If we offer praise and recognition, the person will generally respond by living up to it. But if we run the person down, they tend to meet that negative expectation as well. 
Peter exhorts Christian husbands here, and he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. In fact, if you read what Bible scholars say about that, it's, it's kind of a uh, difficult phrase uh, to translate. It's really uh, literally uh, according to knowledge or in a, in, a, in a knowledgeable way is the idea here. In other words, this exhortation here has more to do with than just being considerate to your wife, although it includes that, but it's more than just being considered. It's more than just having a kind attitude uh, toward your wife. Actually, the application here means that you're to understand specifically what makes your wife tick, what makes her who she is. A husband needs to understand many things about our wives. And, uh, for example, we need to be thoughtful and, per- uh, and perceptive of, of the gifts that they have, the abilities that, that they have, and, and actually encourage them to, to, uh, to develop those gifts and use those abilities that they have. We're also to be perceptive of her likes. What does she like? What does she dislike? What are her fears? What are her concerns? What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? What are her capabilities? What are her limitations? I think you can see by understanding these things about our wives, we'll be able to minister to them and and live with them a lot better. A husband who knows his wife is going to know what's going to bring her the greatest joy. He's going to know what encourages her. He's going to know what discourages her. He's going to know how to communicate love to her. He'll know how not to communicate indifference to her. He'll also know when she could be overwhelmed, and so on. You know, one of the things I've learned about my wife through the years is that she's a very hard worker at home. She's a very hard worker at home, and she also cares for others, and she tries to help other people. And because of this, she sometimes takes on too much of a load, whether it's meeting other people's needs or trying to take care of things uh, in the home, or helping other people, counseling uh, women, and so on. And I've seen this tendency making her a bit weary at times and kind of draining her, her energy. So one of the ways that I learned to minister to my wife is by protecting her. And I, after some time, I, I learned, I said, you know what, honey, I think you're getting a little bit worn down right now. Maybe you shouldn't take on uh, uh, any more than what you're doing or or uh, cooking that meal, or trying to reach out to someone, or maybe I'll say something like, let's just go out to eat tonight, or uh, let's get carry out, whatever the case may be. Or sometimes it'll, the appropriate thing was, let me just help a little bit more you know, ar- ar- around the home and, and do some things. Um, now, when I first got married, I was oblivious. I, I just kind of sat there and just watched as she was doing all these things. You know, I was kind of like that guy, did you ever... Ever hear about that guy that uh, told his wife repeatedly that he'd be willing to die for her, you know, if need be? He'd be willing to die for her. And finally, after hundreds of times saying that, the wife said to him, uh, Honey, I, I, I know you would die for me. Uh, you've told me a thousand times, but while you're waiting around to die, could you please help me with the dishes? You know? <laughs> and I, I was kind of like that, you know. So after, over the years, I kind of came a little bit better of an understanding of her. And I, and I don't came to be, claim to be perfect on this, guys. I'm not. But I've learned more 
and more about her, and I've gotten better at protecting her, and I've gotten better at administering to her particular needs. I mean, you've heard that old saying, right? I'm sure somebody heard that old saying. You just can't understand a woman, right? But you know what God says? You may not be able to understand all women, but he wants you to understand one woman, your wife. In fact, he actually commands it, doesn't he? God actually commands it. Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. You know what God's doing here essentially to us husbands? He's sending us to school again. We're in a lifelong school to be a learner. What makes our wife tick? To know her deeply so that we can deal with her with more wisdom. Be guided by wisdom as we relate to her and, and minister to her needs. And then Peter continues on in the next phrase. He expands upon this where he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now when Peter says showing honor to the woman, what does he mean here? He means just esteem her. Esteem her. Hold her in high regard. That's the idea here. Hold her in high esteem. Hold her in, 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 in high regard. In fact, I think to better understand this, uh, what it means to show honor, uh, it might be helpful. Just, let's just ponder some of the some antonyms to showing honor, to the word honor. It's the opposite. To insult, to scorn, to neglect, to disregard, to put down, ignore, humiliate. One thing that scares women about being submissive is that they feel like their husband will take advantage of them by selfishness and dominating them in a certain way. Wives view submission as, you know, the doormat mentality, which is far from God's mind. Far from God's mind. Peter's exhortation here to husbands to show honor to their wives is actually meant to neutralize any potential abuses. Listen to what one theologian writes about this. His name is Wayne Grudem. I like what he says here. He says, the word woman literally means the feminine one. The feminine one. And he goes on to say, Peter looks to the nature of womanhood or femininity and he sees in it an appropriateness for receiving honor. This is the husband's counterpart, again, as I state, to a wife's respectful and submissive attitude in the first six verses. And again, what this does is meant to just neutralize any potential abuses of a husband's leadership role within the marriage. I'm quite frankly, to tell you the truth, uh, in counseling men through the years, uh, I'm it's shocking how they, they, they think this headship submission thing means dominating. And they think they got ultimate authority. I'm amazed at how many are messed up in thinking of this, even believers in this particular area uh, here. God does call husbands as the head of the home. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 5. He calls husbands to be the head of the home. And he, but he also calls husbands to treat their wives with honor. To have a high regard for. 
this could be demonstrated in many different ways. Let me just give you a few simple examples. One is just being attentive to her. You know, just meet, make eye contact as she's talking to you. That shows honor. Doing little courtesies like opening car doors or, or, or doors and so on. A well-chosen word that makes her feel special and appreciated at times. Occasionally giving flowers or, or little gifts. Maybe an affectionate note once in a while. Heading to the honey-do list. Taking time to enjoy some of the same activities she does. I mean, that's another area I'm amazed at how many times uh, there's hardly a 1% of the same activities that a husband and wife do, and I think there should be at least 50%. Letting her know in some ways she, she's got first place in your life. And we see this kind of honor uh, by a husband to his wife. We see it right there in, in, in Proverbs chapter 31. I'll read it to you. Here's what it says. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, excellently but you surpass them all. Showing honor. But I want you to also notice, Peter also describes the woman as the weaker vessel. You see that? Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, unfortunately, this phrase has been used by some to, to diminish women as being inferior to men. However, this does not mean that men are inf women are inferior to men. You don't find that in Scripture. It, it doesn't mean that women are spiritually inferior to men. That's not taught in Scripture either. And those of you, if you've been in school, I think you know that it doesn't mean that women are intellectually inferior. I used to sit across one purposely so I can kind of see her notes and so on. <laughs> she was smart. And of course, it doesn't teach that they're morally inferior or weaker in character, that the Bible doesn't teach this. I think the most obvious way to understand this is that generally speaking, there's always exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, women are physically weaker than men. I think the idea here seems to mean that physically speaking, she's more delicate. She's more fragile than a man. And therefore, she needs to be treated differently. She needs to be treated more gently. She needs to be treated with more greater care and tenderness. So I don't think Peter is using this phrase. He's not using it to diminish or demean women. He's using it actually to build the case for, for honoring women. A husband should never misuse his masculinity over his wife through physical abuse or verbal bullying. He should never use his physical supremacy for any type of abuse or bullying. The more I've studied this passage, the more I, I, I come to realize that there's just something intrinsic in manhood and womanhood that just requires men to treat women with just special and gentle care. Remember, my wife and I watched this movie. What, what was that? Sense and Sensibility? Is that what it's called? Remember, it goes back to the 1800s or something. And, um, and you've seen the men walk in and they bow to the woman and they're real, you know, and the women are real the way they look. It kind of reminds me of that in a way. You know. 
Let me, uh, let me kind of illustrate it like this. I like to illustrate it like this. Uh, in our kitchen, we have some very sturdy vessels, very sturdy vessels, just like you probably do, and they can be safely put into a dishwasher, you know, and they can, they can survive the rough treatment of a dishwasher. But on the other hand, you know, we also have a set of fine china, a set of fine china that my wife inherited from her, her grandmother. Now, that set of fine china, if you have any, is very fragile, isn't it? I've seen some that you're, you're afraid to touch it or hold it because you think it's going to break. It's so delicate. And if that's used, we can't run it through the rough treatment of the dishwasher. We have to wash it gently by hand. Those fragile vessels of fine china, or what we could call weaker vessels, are actually, they're, they're not inferior to the sturdier ones, are they? They're actually more valuable. And they need to be handled in greater care. And we can say in the same way, a husband should re relate to his wife in the same way, gently, tenderly. Like an expensive, beautiful, delicate piece of fine china. I remember someone saying something to me one time, and I've tried to do this through the years. I'm not always perfect at it, but sometimes if my wife and I get into something, I try to keep this thing in mind that just act like there's a sign over her hanging from her, and it says, fragile, handle with care. Fragile, handle with care. Get that sign in your mind, guys. You're going to need it. Our wives are precious gifts from the Lord. And we need to esteem them so. Which leads us to the second great emphasis in this verse. What's the husband's motivation of doing so? What's the husband's motivation? And Peter gives us two motivations here. The first motivation Peter gives us is found in the phrase, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, simply put, what Peter's saying here is that you're going to want to honor your wife and live with her in an understanding way because she's your partner in life. And as a believer in Christ, she also has equal standing in Christ. This isn't discounting, again, marriage roles. Uh, Ephesians 5 clearly makes a distinction in marriage roles. A husband is called to lead his wife. But it also doesn't discount the wife. This is, a, this is a great phrase here. The leadership-submission relationship between a husband and wife, again, is not about superiority and inferiority. In fact, God's going to hold the husband accountable for how he uses his headship. Marriage roles outlined in scriptures are actually complementary ways of a husband and wife to serve each other in love. Or a principle of harmony. Headship and, uh, and submission or leadership and submission is just a way of life. You got parent-children, employer-employee, right? Government leaders and citizens and so on. And, and on, we, on, on and on we go. It's just a way of life. It's a principle of, of harmony. So, and this, this is important. This is very important to, uh, to recognize here because in this phrase... What Peter is doing, he's wisely balancing the recognition 
of the distinctive roles in the husband and wife relationship, but also their equality in Christ. You see that? It's important to understand this, this balance here. Although God has given different roles to the husband and wife, and although he has ordained the husband to be the leader of the home, yet both are equally made in God's image. Both have equal standing in God's kingdom. Both the husband and wife are accepted by God on the same basis, aren't they? The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Wives like husbands believe in the same Savior. Wives like husbands are redeemed by the same sacrifice in Christ. They live by the same divine grace. They look forward to the same eternal destiny. The mutual recognition of this reality, this is the key to harmony in the marriage relationship. This is the foundation for dignity and a loving respect between a husband and a wife. Now, this was, this was a revolutionary concept in Peter's day. Again, Peter, uh, women were just a little bit better than slaves, and they weren't treated well. And what takes place here, we see uh, uh, this is one of the highest ethical standards uh, that has risen, has really honored women and elevated women to a place of honor. So by seeing this, I think, in the historical context, uh, we, we should realize what a positive, liberating effect it has had on women. So how can a husband live this out in everyday life. Let me just give you again just a few simple examples. One way is just seek your wife's thoughts and opinions on decisions that need to be made. I, you know, keep in mind, uh, we, we did read that uh, uh, in Genesis that uh, the, the woman was created to be a helper to the man, right? Show appreciation for ideas. Show appreciation for her insights. Verbalize appreciation for her homemaking skills, for her homemaking sacrifices. Credit her for the, for the good that she's doing for you. Give her credit for, for your accomplishments. You know, tell, I, I, I could not have done it without you. Praise her occasionally before others. Praise her occasionally before the children. I think such words would be music to her ears. In the Song of Solomon, the wife says of her husband, this is my beloved and this is my friend. It's a beautiful expression, isn't it? This is my beloved and this is my friend, the wife says of the husband. She's rejoicing in her love for her husband and she's glad he is her friend. My, that's my best friend. There's no one else I'd rather be with than my wife. That's the kind of relationship a husband and wife should cultivate. There's a communion of togetherness like no other relationship on earth. You know, brethren, non-Christian couples won't experience this same type of intimacy, the same type of oneness. They won't, they won't experience this internal joy that comes from Christ. 
They'll not experience the, the oneness, the forgiveness, the grace, the abundant life in Christ. And therefore, you know what? One of our most powerful witnessing tools is a marriage that honors Christ. As you live out God's plan for marriage, some unbelieving couples may take notice and they may come up to you and they ask for advice and ask for help. They want to know how, how they can live that way in their marriage. The second motivation Peter gives is found at the end of the verse. And it's a phrase that should be seriously noted by every Christian husband. Remember the first time I pointed this out to a husband many years ago who was mistreating his wife. He just became a believer. <clears throat> and I told him to read it where it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And boy, was he, he got sober after that. He wanted to do what was right before God. This tells us that a man's relationship with his wife has a profound effect on his fellowship with God. It seems to indicate here that God may not honor the prayers of a husband who violates this, the exhortations that are in this verse. If a husband uses his masculinity to mistreat or dominate his wife, and he uses his role as the head of the home selfishly, his fellowship with God is going to suffer. That's what it seems to tell me. In other words, if you're characteristically harsh, selfish, negative, critical of your wife, not only are you going to have an unhappy and distraught wife, but you're also going to build a, a wall between you and God. So I think this exhortation in this verse should be taken seriously by every husband. Any husband who characteristically relates to his wife in this way needs to humble himself before God. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. Don't fight it. Humble yourself before him. Repent of such actions and have a resolve in your heart for personal change and seek the Lord's help in this and seek help from spiritual leadership as well so that your prayers not be hindered. Now, now why would it matter that your prayers not be hindered? Because when your prayers are hindered it means you're not connected with God. You're not connecting. And God himself is going to feel distant. So we should live with our wives in such a way that our prayers are not hindered because we need prayer, don't we? We need prayer. We need to stay in fellowship with God to fulfill all that he's called us to do. Every husband should ask himself, Am I living with my wife in an understanding way? Every husband should ask himself, Am I honoring my wife? Am I honoring her as my partner in life, heirs together? Am I honoring her as a fellow believer and follower of Christ? As I said, this is a brief 
but a power-packed verse for husbands. <clears throat> it's a calling uh, from God that definitely can seem overwhelming. It's God's ideal that he calls us to, to, to the ideal, something we strive for. And therefore, none of us are sufficient within ourselves, aren't we, to live up to this. And this should humble us before God. We need his grace through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And moreover, we need hope. And we have hope that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we'll also be in a better position to express that same love of Christ to our wives. This is what God calls us to as husbands, and this tells us how we're to relate to our wives. This is the sort of leadership in the home that God wants every husband to cultivate. And we're to be men who rise up to the challenge, believing through God's grace that we can become what God has called us to become. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, since that is what you want from us as husbands, then I ask you to just please help us by the power of your spirit to become the husband that you want us to be so that we could be a greater blessing to our wives and also our children and for those around us. And we could bring you the glory you deserve. Please forgive us for our failures in this fallen world, Lord, where the distortion of your word and your ways abound. Give us the discernment. Give us the wisdom. Give us the strength to be men who bring you glory in our lives and in our homes. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.